you do not want to go in front of a professional licensing board yeah. without somebody else who's kind of you want somebody who's kind of impartial but your advocate there to help you out and it could be costly Hello, welcome to the Better Outcome Show, where we explore the possibilities of a new healthcare. Each episode, we bring you a conversation with leaders across the healthcare industry, exploring topics ranging from new treatment techniques and interventions to novel service delivery methods and business models. And now your host, Rafi Salazar from Rehab U Practice Solutions, a leader in patient engagement and retention strategy. Let's explore the possibilities of a new healthcare. Well, hello again. Welcome to another episode of the Better Outcome Show. I'm your host, Rafi Salazar from Rehab U Practice Solutions. This episode is brought to you today by the Market Penetration Roadmap. It's one of our latest service offerings here at Rehab U Practice Solutions. And what we do with the Market Penetration Roadmap is we help you align your technology, your software, your tool, or your device with your targeted healthcare stakeholder. We help you create a consistent message to drive business development strategy for specific healthcare stakeholders. So a lot of times what has been happening, I don't know if you've noticed this, but obviously technology, remote therapeutic monitoring, telehealth, all of that kind of stuff has been coming to the forefront within the uh, physiotherapy, the physical therapy rehab world because of things like the pandemic and the move to virtual healthcare. And I've said this for years that the future of healthcare really is a hybrid model, right? We're going to have a, we've had folks on the show talking about like the digital patient journey and, and the in-clinic journey and how those parallel and how they really should work in tandem and be one journey. There's just one patient journey, right? Um, whether that be through a digital entryway or through a physical entryway, the reality is that moving forward, healthcare is going to be delivered on a hybrid basis. There's going to be some things that take place in the clinic, some things that take place online, if you would, or via apps and application software. And probably over the last year or so, it was it became more and more frequent that I was getting messages and conversations and having conversations with folks that were starting either a platform, a technology, a tool, bringing something to the market specifically for physiotherapy in the musculoskeletal world, which is where I spent a lot of my time, both clinically and then on the consulting side of things. And what they needed was some way to incorporate patient engagement and clinician utilization, the workflows around implementing new technology as part of their business development process. So in an effort to make life easier for everybody, um, to make something that has the potential sometimes these tools were really 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 good they just were not positioned well for physiotherapists to want to use them or maybe they were they had the real potential to make uh, streamline clinical workflows or improve clinical outcomes but they didn't integrate well with the systems so a lot of what we do with the market penetration roadmap is we do exactly that we do a positioning on it to make sure that the the tool, the message, the um, the implement itself, if you would, or the technology itself is positioned appropriately for the targeted stakeholder. Maybe it's a patient, maybe it's the provider organization, maybe it's the payer or the regulatory agency. Um, we do some market research and we gain some insights around what 
the perceived problem that this tool solves is and whether or not that is valuable to the targeted stakeholder. We update that value proposition for the, for the market that we're going after. In a lot of cases, it is either patients or providers. Sometimes we do a little bit of work with folks trying to uh, coordinate with payers and the like. And then we develop an entire business development strategy for that tool. So if you're interested in that, if you happen to be in the market or you're trying to bring a tool technology or piece of software to the market, you want a little help developing a, a strategy to do that effectively, specifically in the uh, physiotherapy, the musculoskeletal space, check out the market penetration roadmap. You can do that at strategy.rehabupracticesolutions.com. All right, moving on. This week is more of a public service announcement than it is anything else, I feel like. Um, this is one of those topics that gets talked about um, maybe when you're going through uh, school, maybe if you're uh, you know, starting a business, starting a practice, and the topic of insurance comes up. You, know, you say the I word, insurance, and people's eyes glaze over and they start losing it. Um, I get it. I get it. But this is one of those topics that I that I just looking back on what we've done in the past, I realized we had not really covered it in depth. What is professional liability insurance? Why might you need it? Why might you need it if you're an independent clinician versus a business owner? How do all these insurance pieces fit into place to make the practice run effectively and efficiently um, and, and cover what needs to be covered, right? Um, so that's what we're talking about this week. My guest is William Sullivan. He is the executive vice president and the chief underwriting officer over at the CMNF group. And we have a conversation around the different types of professional liability insurance coverage, might, why you might want to get professional liability insurance coverage, even if your employer has a policy that's supposed to cover you. Um, and all the, some of the things that professionally professional liability insurance will cover and provide for. For example, I was not aware that professional liability insurance would help with licensure defense and things of that nature. I mean, maybe that's pretty you know, standard and I should have expected that, but I, I always thought of, and I always, for, until I had this conversation, really thought of professional liability insurance as what happens if somebody sues you. <laughs> Not so much somebody filing a complaint and then going after your license or something like that. So hopefully this conversation is enlightening, insightful, gives you something to think about in the uh, realms of, of what type of coverage you would need as an independent clinician or as a business owner or practice owner. So without further ado, here's William Sullivan talking about the ins and outs and intricacies of professional liability insurance. Well, hey, Will, welcome to the show. How are you? Doing good. Doing good. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thanks for being here. Um, I'm excited about talking around all of the topics regarding uh, insurance liability, liability insurance, and if, particularly for practice owners and clinicians and kind of what that entails and what it looks like. Before we get too deep into the weeds, though, tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, who you are, what you do, and then why we should listen to you when it comes to insurance. <laughs> sure, sure. Yes, I, I really appreciate it. So, so I'm Will Sullivan. I'm our executive vice president, chief underwriting officer at a company called CMF Group. Uh, CMF Group's part of two larger parent companies, uh, Specialty Program Group, or SPG, and then Hub International, which is the fifth largest insurance broker in the world, uh, based out of Chicago. Midwest company, but all around all around the country in Canada and some other countries. So uh, that that's who I am. So I basically run um, I run our service underwriting partnerships and stuff like that. 
but I also have a background as a uh, healthcare attorney. Uh, I'll, I'll focus okay. on that over the years. So that gives me a little bit of framework of healthcare in general, and then also, uh, you know, meaningful substance to help out from, you know, professional liability, medical malpractice. Yeah. Well, I guess given your, <laughs> your background here, when people think uh, liability insurance, um, malpractice, all of that, they're really thinking, I, I would assume about really getting sued, right? So in your experience, <laughs> um, what's the, is that the biggest reason or the, the most uh, frequent reason for a claim being filed against liability insurance would be somebody suing you or the practice? Yeah, sure. So, so from the, from the clinic standpoint, when you're the business entity, yes, the, the liability aspect of professional liability or, or professional liability is the umbrella. And then you have different types. So if you're yeah. an accountant, you, there's professional liability for that. If you're in healthcare, it's med mal or medical malpractice. So that's kind of the focus that you have. When you're in a business clinic, most of what you're going to be seeing is liability or lawsuits for negligence and things like that on the professional liability realm. If you're an individual practitioner, maybe, um, you're going to be looking at, usually in, in uh, PT, OT, uh, nursing, you're going to be looking at a lot of board action more on your license too. Oh, so that's okay. an aspect that people... It's usually an unsaid thing that people don't realize is the licensure defense piece of it. That's also covered by professional liability. Oh yeah, that is interesting. So I sit on a I sit on a board and we have issues every now and then with with somebody who's licensed and we do we call them together or you know we might do a review and they'll bring the the attorney down and we all meet and we do like a an interview panel. So professional liability insurance then would cover that if you're a practitioner that's having somebody I guess file a complaint against your license? Absolutely. Absolutely. Most circumstances, uh, the coverage will trigger. It'll, it'll come into effect. Um, you talk to different people who are attorneys who focus on that defense. There are some that do that, not just medical malpractice, but also license defense specifically. Huh. And, and, and I think if you speak to most of those people, they'll say, you do not want to go in front of a professional licensing board yeah. without somebody else who's kind of outside of the emotion of an instance because yeah, you know, you're interacting with a patient, something goes right or wrong, whatever the case may be. You want somebody who's kind of impartial, but your advocate there to help you out. And it can be costly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, attorneys bill out at like 250 an hour, 300 an hour, right? <laughs> On the low end. So you're talking big money if they're driving somewhere and meeting with you and doing all that kind of stuff. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> all right. Well then let's let's pull the conversation back a little bit. Um, when we say professional liability insurance, let's break it down from um, what do we mean by that? What it means for the business, what it would mean for a clinician, and then we'll kind of dive a little bit deeper. Sure, sure. So, so for the for the business, you know, you're you're running a business. Uh, you have clientele or patients coming in the door. You're expected as a professional in a business that operates with these professionals to maintain a certain standard of care. And then the liability kind of comes into effect with just normal negligence breakdown of there's a duty to care for people a certain yeah. way. You know, if somebody has a rotator cuff injury, you know, there's a certain way you're going to kind of take care of them in the middle of the clinic versus somebody with a hip injury, right? So there's a duty of the care. And then there's a breach. There's an argumentation of like, hey, there's a breach of the duty. You didn't treat me on my shoulder. You burned me with laser therapy, whatever the case may be. Um, there's that breach. And then the causation is you caused this uh, injury for me, right? Um and then there's just like the actual liability, like the the payout in essence, like what what's the actual damage? So it's yeah. kind of like a breakdown. And that that's standard negligence across the country, 
varies state by state on how they analyze that with case law and things like that. But that's in essence, like if you run a business that does that, you're you're looking at the liability aspect like that. Yeah. And for the business owner, the clinic owner, it's it's not just the the owner themselves, right? We're this is a blanket policy that would cover, you know, the PTs, the OTs that are working in the clinic as well. Exactly. So so you'll have the business, how it operates with the liability piece, but then you know, it's a scaled out measure where you have all these different people doing different aspects. So if you're an occupational therapy clinic, but you have massage therapists in there, you have an acupuncturist who kind of moonlights and comes in here and there, and then PTs, things like that. All of those kind of come in with different frameworks of standards of care, and they all fall under the umbrella of the professional liability of the clinic. Whereas if they're out individually practicing, it's just going to be the occupational therapist, what's yeah. their standards, and that, what's that care, and what's the potential liability that results from that individual person versus the agency piece of like normal corporate laws. You have a business, and then you have people employed operating under agency laws, exactly. and you're liable for their actions too. Yeah, yeah. Um, so how about an individual then? Let's say an individual physical therapist or occupational therapist, they get a job to work with ABC Clinic and ABC Clinic has professional liability. Do they need professional liability or do, are they covered by the by the business? Because you hear this on both ends, right? People are like, oh, no, your employer's got it covered. And then some people are like, no, you absolutely need to have it because, you know, things go south or what or whatever. Yeah, sure. So, so that's that's actually critical and fundamental to the business that we've had since the '40s. We've been doing this since nurses in the 1947, and then we've kind of expanded out to a, a whole host of professions. Um, you know, over 200 now. And so, when you're looking at the individual side, like I was mentioning at the outset, like licensing board issues, there there might be an employer who's not going to cover you on your personal license issue. Number yeah. one, like that. I would say that would probably be a potential common issue there. Yeah. The other thing is if you're moonlighting nights out of your primary employer. So then you're not an agent under the umbrella of the clinic. But let's say you're you're assisting with the JV football team on weekends because you know some of the people over there and they need a PT over there, an athletic trainer. You know, your business that you work under as an employee is most likely not extending coverage over there. So there's things like that where, hey, you might be at risk on your own by just kind of being you know helpful in the community so you want to be aware of that the the other thing that people you know forget as you get into larger corporations is that you know un, under law in the country you're liable for your actions so if you talk to any financial advisor and you tell them you know what are your assets i have a home i have a car i have a 401k i also have a license to practice something you know if you're an orthopedic surgeon they're going to ask you do you have coverage for liability for that, just like they would for disability. You know, if you're a surgeon, you hurt your hand, disabling for somebody with their hands for an yeah. a surgeon is gonna be quite different from, you know, somebody else like me doing insurance. Like it's it's quite opposite. It's the same thing with the liability as well. You, you have to be aware that you're liable for what you do, um, no matter what. Uh, they might go after the business entity and you individually. And if there's some kind of tension as, hey, you're working outside of all the standard operating procedures, protocols that we have, or there's some kind of level of uh, dissension there, you you could be kind of left out on your own, whereas the clinic could kind of be separating yourself out. So there's potential there. You know, usually you want to kind of keep a cohesive defensive front with with both and everything's good to go. But but again, if they hit you on the license, the, the employer's policy might not trigger there. 
and uh, and then you could be spending thousands of dollars to defend yourself anyway. So yeah. there's a lot of things in, in in benefiting that from that vantage point. Yeah, and I've also heard, I've heard from some people that that will say something along the lines of, "Oh, well, the professional liability insurance for the clinic is really insurance for the clinic or the the practice. It's that like that's their main stakeholder that they're fighting for, and if it comes down to them or you, they're they're going to go with them, right?" Um, is that something that happens or is it like you said, it's, it ends up being one of those things where legally you parse it out and this is, you know, you're, you're responsible for your, your decisions and your decision was wrong in this case. So the, the professional liability doesn't apply to you. Sure. I, I, I think, you know, to, to answer, it's a good question. I, I think that the, the objective and the hope is to have a strong defensive front yeah. because you, you could say somebody was operating outside of the protocols, but the, the reality is that they're an agent of your business. So it's really hard to segment the two. Uh-huh. It can happen, but it, it really makes sense as, listen, if they buy the insurance policy, they operate the business, they're, they're primarily going to be on the hook for it, but they also control uh, the decision-making a lot of the times with the claims defense council and, and things like that. The coverage will extend to the employees and, and for some, like my company works with me, we, we covered the 1099s to, on, on the self-employed as well. So there, there, there's, you know, a pull up of everybody being covered, but there's also opportunity in litigation where, you know, something there could be pointing, finger pointing, depending upon the defense counsel, the carrier, all that type of stuff. And, and it happens. Sometimes you have people join into clinics and they haven't been there for a long time and they've had a really bad tension. And then something bad does happen with a patient and it's more finger pointing rather than, Hey, this is just collectively how we always do things. This is the protocols. So-and-so was following that, you know, let's kind of defend this together. Um, you know, so there is a little bit of that. And if you start rolling into like the current healthcare transition, which is outpatient healthcare is growing astronomically compared to what's traditional in the doc practices, the hospitals going under emerging, things like that. People are looking to staff a lot. They're looking to get out there on their own. You, you're going to see uh, a, a real need if you're not under the one umbrella of an employee as a W-2. You, you really need to be covering that asset, like I was saying with a financial advisor. Hey, you're a PT. You have a license. You go work over here on the side. Make sure you're covering yourself because you're making more money on that. Um, you have to cover your assets on that, your license. Yeah. It's funny. I, you know, talking to, to clini- clinicians in and out of practice and across the country, it's very few of them, and maybe it's because I have not asked this question very pointedly, but very few of them would talk about their license as an asset. But that really is like, when you think about why do you buy insurance, you buy insurance to protect assets that you don't like you either can can't replace or you don't want to afford to replace, right? Um, So it's an interesting perspective to look at that like, oh, no, you're you're protecting your livelihood. That's what professional liability insurance is, right? Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's, you're, you're the best investment you could ever make. Right. And, yeah. uh, you know, your licensure, I'm licensed as an attorney. It's, uh, yeah, I maintain that even though I do healthcare stuff for insurance, but it's, you know, it, it really is your best asset because it's what generates wealth and opportunity. And if you invest all these years into training, I mean, you, you've invested yourself already. You should protect it. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. Okay. So then, Let's say somebody, maybe they're a practice owner, they're looking to start a practice and they're kind of looking at what do I need in professional liability insurance? Kind of break that down for us. What's what's the basics? This will keep you covered and you know make sure that your your assets are protected and that you're not exposed to any undue risk. 
Yeah, sure. So I, I, I think, you know, a couple of things you, number one, you, you want to do your own due diligence and kind of see who's out there and, and yeah. start peppering, you know, what was the price, what are the coverages look like and things like that. Fundamentally, um, you, you know, especially if you're running a clinic, you're going to have credentialing needs to get approved. If, if you're doing any reimbursement, they're probably going to require a certain level of limits of liability. So, what, you know, outside of sourcing in general, maybe getting a broker to advise you where they give you an impartial view of like, hey, here's the three big players. These are the differences. That's kind of, you know, where you kind of start, you know, outside of a Google search, getting a yeah. broker advisor. You want to make sure if you have an advisor, they actually know about healthcare. I, yeah. I do have to say that, you know, you get a lot of people who come through, you know, they might be shiny, they might be in venture cap, or they might be just like the person everybody knows in town that goes to your your church or whatnot, and they might know nothing about healthcare and professional liability. And that that's a little concerning. It's not like a normal auto policy, business owner, owner policy. So if you break down professional liability, like the number one thing is you, you want the liability coverage, right? The professional liability aspect, but part of that's also defense coverage. So you want defense coverage, which is the, the legal defense, all the bills, you know? So, and, and when you look at those two, they kind of combine into what they call your limit of liability and a claim. So we always, our policies for our company, most of them do, not all of them do though. Um, they will allow you to have liability limit as in how much you pay out in a settlement or um, the court says, hey, you have to pay this, right? And then you have defense costs as well for the legal bills and all that good stuff. Um, our policy has liability or the indemnity payment and then defense in addition to that. So if you have a million dollar claim or settlement and you defend for $200,000, that whole bill of $1.2 million is covered. And if it's uh, inside the limits of the million dollars, you could have a million dollar cost and 200 grand in uh, defense. And you might be having to suck in that $200,000. And basically there's a difference where somebody has to make that up. So that yeah. those are the big, that that's like the big like understanding there. Um, two two other things to add to that is, you know, who makes the determination of settling or going to court, and that that's a consent clause, and it should be again if your broker doesn't know what this is, that that's a concern. That's a that's bad usually, sign. <laughs> yeah, that's usually a bad sign. So it, it's there's different consents. So like for us, we have a peer consent. That means if you own and run the business, it's your policy. You decide if you go to court or if you if you settle outside of court and you work in tandem with the defense counsel and, and the insurance company. Right. There's other ones that say, you know, in essence, like the company has deemed appropriate, which means that they will talk to you, but they make the decision. So you, you could find in a time like this where costs are going up, companies are going to start saying, like, we're just closing these, we're selling them and shooing them away. But then that makes you look bad because you have a negligence negligence claim. Where like maybe you could have paid a hundred grand to defend yourself, and they would have said there's no negligence here. Yeah, you know, and you'd rather do that with something like your own reputation. So there's a couple ways on that, and then there's a hammer clause, which is, hey, if you want to go to court and you think you're going to win and you lose, and you have to pay more than we could have settled, and now you're on the hook. That's called like the hammer clause defense. Oh, okay. So, so it's really like liability, defense costs, and then uh, what's your consent clause? And there's a whole variety of other things to bear in mind. I guess the, the, the only last thing I would say is there's occurrence and claims made insurance coverages. 
And, um, you know, I, in MedMal, a lot of people get claims made. It lowers costs initially, but you have to kind of pay out to maintain coverage longer term. We don't have to get into super detail, but yeah. occurrence is the other one where if you buy it, it's coverage for that period of time kind of indefinitely in most policies. So, so that's kind of the breakdown in, in the general sense. Yeah, no, that's, that's very helpful. I don't think, you know, even somebody that's going through buying or has bought several, um, professional liability insurances. I don't know if, if that's a piece that ever gets brought up really, unless you have a broker who who really knows the healthcare space and is like, okay, listen, there's a difference between the defense spending and the settlement spending. And you could think you're covered and then potentially owe your lawyer 50 grand still after the settlement, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's instances of that. I mean, the other instance is you have a claim and you don't tell your insurance company timely. And you just go out and you get your so-and-so friend and you're like, yo, help me out with this. And then they're like looking at it and they're like, okay, we got to notify your insurance company three months later. And then there's a debate on whether or not you notify the insurance company timely. In timely manner, yeah. Usually the insurance company wants their own specialized defense to be there who can really help you out. And that's, uh, especially when you do the mergers and acquisitions piece, you know, if you're being acquired, uh, you, you need to make sure your ducks are in a row on coverage because once you get sold, somebody's got to cover your risk prior to the sale and that new company is not going to want to buy a bad risk, so to speak. So that's where like the occurrence and claims made make a lot of sense. And, and similar, if you're the acquirer, you need to make sure those people are covered. And, and you do hear about that where people don't want to buy a business entity because their risk is too high from previous actions, even yeah. though they look like a good acquisition. So there's, there's a lot to that. And insurance, I would say is probably the last thing people think about, but, yeah, but it can make man, your life totally miserable if it's done wrong, right? <laughs> absolutely. And if you're selling your company and you forgot to tell them you need to you need to uh, terminate your cyber liability policy and you forgot about that and you're in the middle of it and you realize, oh, I've got to pay like $100,000 to tail out on a large cyber policy and you're about to sell, you're thinking like, well, that wasn't part of my calculus of how much money I make on this deal. Yeah. You know, so it's, it's something you want to really vet that out ahead of time. Yeah. Awesome. Um, well, thanks so much, Will. We're getting here near the bottom. If, if there's like one or two main takeaways you would want a listener to walk away with specifically, I mean, the, the bulk of people that listen to the show are uh, their practitioners and then a lot of them run their own practice. What would you want them to know specifically about professional liability uh, insurance for their practice? Yeah, uh, I would say you're, you are liable. You need peace of mind and coverage. So you're liable for your own actions. Make sure you get your own coverage. That's that's number one. And number two, uh, take your time understanding what the insurance is with somebody who can describe it to you and you feel comfortable about it. Yeah. And that it's okay to talk to uh, two, three companies to figure that out. I, I would say, you know, get spend a little time, use an advisor to advise you on it. Awesome. Cool deal. Well, where can people find out more about you, about your group, and about what you have to offer? Sure. Uh, it's uh, CMF Group. So it's C is in cat, M is in Mary, F is in Frank, and then the word group.com. Uh, we've been in business over 100 years now. been working in medical malpractice for over 74 at this point. Uh, we cover over 130,000 people and clients, clinics, individuals, students nationally. And uh, happy to help you however we can. Awesome. Cool deal. Well, Will, thanks so much. Have a good one. Thank you. You too. Well, hopefully you enjoyed that conversation. 
I know no one really likes thinking about insurance. It's one of those things that in my mind is something that has to get done and it's like an item on my to-do list, but it does make sense to think a little bit about professional liability insurance and why you might need it, what kind of coverage you may be looking at or, or you know, be the best in your situation. Sometimes it helps sitting down with an advisor. Um, hopefully you can find one that's not just going to sales you, sales pitch you to death. Um, but I mean, it comes up, you know, more often than not when I'm having conversations with clinic owners, with independent clinicians, other professionals in, in other areas, how many people just either don't really think about it or it's one of those decisions on autopilot or they don't, you know, maybe they just thought they were covered by their employer. Um, we have this conversation every now and then when we bring a new team member on at the clinic that I run. Um, just had this conversation last week, actually, with with one of the PTs, and she was asking me, um, "Well, I'm covered, right? I've got your your insurance policy is, is covering us." And I said, "Yeah, I mean, technically it does, but as Will laid out, there's there are some important reasons why you might want to consider having your own coverage because the way I look at it is, you know, insurance is supposed to to cover you and provide protection for something that you're not either able or willing to lose. And um, whether it be an income stream or something like that, and your professional license as a clinician, regardless of whether or not you're in the clinic. So I think this is a a big piece too. Like I have, you know, I I think I looked over the, the numbers last month. I did one evaluation last month in the clinic and saw a handful of patients. Um, or did complete a handful of visits. For the most part, most of my work, um, the vast, vast majority of my work is not in clinic treating patients. However, what allows me to do some of my, a, a lot of that non-clinical work, the consulting, the advising, the market penetration roadmap, which I'm going to do another plug for here, um, writing the book, Better Outcomes, A Guide to Humanizing Healthcare, all of that activity that value that I'm able to create, the money that I'm able to generate for my family, for the business, happens and is possible because of that uh, clinical license. So even though I'm not using it day to day, it's worth, at least in my mind, protecting that. (laughs) Um, And so, you know, we were having this conversation in the clinic and uh, this PT said, well, I don't think I, I don't really know if I need anything or not because I have the coverage through the, through the clinic. And we had this conversation about, listen, maybe this is something that, you know, you make your own decision. You talk it over with, with your partner and, you know, get an advisor involved, but this is how I look at it. And uh, so anyways, hopefully this conversation helped shed a little bit of light on some of the reasons why you might want to consider getting your own policy if you don't already have one. Um, and then think things to think about as a maybe a practice owner or business owner when it comes to coverage in general and how it all kind of overlaps and makes it work. I'm one of those people that believes uh, you get someone, you get a professional to help you with this. <laughs> you don't want to take my advice for it. Go talk to your own uh, professional that can advise you on the types of coverage you want in your business and your practice um, and what it, what uh, coverage your employees might want, your, your team members. So anyways, that's it for that. Uh, starting next week, we're going to have a conversation with a, a physical therapist who is involved in a pretty unique area of practice. I want to say there's less than 200 PTs doing this in the in the country, if I recall correctly from my conversation with him. Nathan Shields, he uh, was a physical therapist, well, is a physical therapist. He does EMGs or electro 
myography studies, whatever they're called, whatever EMG stands for, <laughs> needle EMGs. Um, he's doing it in a, in a cool remote place in Alaska. Um, but really, we talked about being a business owner, a practice owner. He runs the PT Owners Club podcast and does some consulting and coaching for private practice owners. Um, and we talked about him starting his practice, scaling his practice, selling his practice for a large multiple. He's a business partner of uh, a former guest on the show, Will Humphreys. So we, we talked, you know, I get his take on how things went and what, what happened, what didn't happen, how, you know, some of the pieces around and, and um, some of the activities around selling the practice and doing the roll up that, um, that, you know, Nathan experienced and kind of this existential crisis that happens when you sell your business when, when you're so tied to the identity of being a clinician. And then we talked a little bit about um, EMGs as a practice area because, you know, I kind of nerded out on that. I think that's something cool. It's a unique area of practice. So we talked about that. So look forward to that next week. Um, and if you like the show, head on over to iTunes, leave us a rating and review. Helps people find the show. Um, and if you want to be uh, kept in the loop for when we release episodes, connect with guests, all that kind of stuff, head on over to www.betteroutcomes.show. Sign up there. We'll shoot you an email when we drop a new episode. Until the next time, folks, be safe, be healthy. I will talk to you then. Thanks for listening to the Better Outcomes Show, where we explore the possibilities of a new healthcare. Our hope is that you walk away from each episode informed, equipped, and empowered to push the boundaries in your own practice or business. We want to give you the tools to help you build strong, long-lasting relationships with your patients and clients, helping meet their goals, improve their health, and achieve better outcomes. Learn more at www.RehabUPracticeSolutions.com. We'll catch you on the next episode.